Welcome back. I am your host, Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge, although the Teacher's Lounge, if you will, is more of a makeshift blanket fort that I have constructed in my bedroom closet underneath some hoodies and button-up t-shirts. So cross our fingers that the audio sounds good this time around. And speaking of this show, this week we are talking to John Zuber. He's an English teacher at Oregon High School in Oregon, Illinois. He was particularly fascinated by how e-learning and this new setup has impacted his relationships with his students. He's found that it's been a little more casual and even personable as they've been trying to just talk to each other about how they're doing. I'm not concerned about their behavior. I'm not concerned if they're paying attention because we're not in the classroom environment. You know, it's just like, hey, here's the info. And how's it going? Are you doing okay? And But don't worry, that is not all that we talked about. We also talked about how his rural district is handling e-learning and some cool high school English stuff like how he thinks that high school seniors kind of feel like Hamlet. And we talked about how having kids really changed the way that he thinks about his career. And near the end, we get into cooking and what you should be experimenting in the kitchen with as we're all at home. Trust me, you're going to want to stick around for that one, especially if you're fans of uh, beets and cabbage. In the meantime, I want you to be a part of this show. I want to hear from you. Students, parents, teachers, everyone. Send us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu and just tell us what it's been like over the last couple weeks learning or teaching from home or trying to help your family do all of that. Just tell us how you're feeling. Record your thoughts into your phone if you want to. You can use your Voice Memos app and then send us the voice file to teacherslounge at niu.edu and we'll have it on the show or you can just send us something and I'll read it. In fact, we've already been hearing from a few teachers, so let's get to that right away. First up, I'll read a message we got a few weeks back from Sarah Farmer right as schools closed. She's a grade school teacher in Morris, Illinois. Sarah's message said, I just finished handwriting 22 letters to my students. I went to the post office and bought stamps and will mail them tonight or tomorrow. I'm hoping I'll get some letters back from them. Yesterday was a weird day and I don't know how to feel. On Friday, when they left school, I didn't know for sure they wouldn't be returning on Monday. I didn't get to give them a hug. I wasn't prepared not to see them for however long this may be. Yes, I'm glad to be home with my family, but I miss their smiling faces too. They bring me joy each day. I worry about them and think about what they're doing. I guess that's just what teachers do. Sarah actually teaches at the same school as my mom. I actually got my own mom, Lisa Felker, to send us something herself. First, I want to say that I really do miss going to school myself every day and seeing the students and working side by side with them in the classroom. One of the jobs I have as a teacher at my school is a middle school art teacher. And when we heard that school was going to go, be going to e-learning, we already had a few days in place. Um, I put 15 days of sketching tutorials in place for my middle school arts students, and I have heard on a daily basis from students who are sharing their works from me. They are um, sending their um, sketches, taking pictures of them, sending them on email, and then I place them in my Google Classroom and kind of putting together sort of kind of a art gallery for them to see each other's works with. 
speaking back and forth with one another. Um, some of them have other um, ideas of different artwork they, they want to share with me that they're working on while they're off school. So um, that's where we are right now. And I just can't help but be excited to see that they are engaged in doing some art at home and knowing that art can be a great therapeutic relaxation for all of us at this time is just a great way to express ourselves and how we're feeling right now. There you go. My mom's first appearance on Teacher's Lounge. Be like her. Send us a message to teacherslounge at niu.edu. All right. I think that we are ready for the show. Okay, so the news roundup, I mean, the news has been a lot lately, and we kind of all know what's happening, so let's get the big information out of the way up top. Stay-at-home orders in Illinois are now going through at least April 30th, so schools are going to be e-learning at least until then, and many of the state universities and colleges have suspended in-person classes through the semester. So with that being said, how about we talk a little bit about what e-learning looks like for different people? First up, what it looks like for special needs students and educators. Karina Steinmeier is the director of the Lee County Special Education Association. It serves just over 500 special ed students in Dixon as well as the Pawpaw School District. Steinmeier says one of the association's biggest jobs in the current situation has been communicating with parents and giving them options on how to meet their kids' needs from home. And options are especially important with many parents working while also trying to help their kids learn. We're hoping to make progress, but we're hoping the, the bottom line is maintaining, but we're always looking for progress. She says her educators, for example, this speech pathologist, have been making interactive YouTube videos. Steinmeier says a majority of her students have internet access, but not everyone. And for those that do, they're providing iPads and Chromebooks. And for those who don't, they're sending more paper-based home programs. All right, how about Northern Illinois University art students? People learning music, theater, and dance miles away from any kind of audience and from their fellow performers. There's no replacing the immediacy of live theater. And there's no replacing a live concert or recital. But Alex Gelman says it's worth remembering that art's greatest enemy can be a lack of limitations. He's the head of Northern Illinois University's School of Theater and Dance. We teach how to deal with strictures and how to employ them in our art making. Actors are performing with each other over video, and musicians are recording themselves or trying small Zoom ensembles. Andrew Glendening is the director of the School of Music. Students may have to practice the trombone outside. And the school is shipping keyboards to others. In some cases, landlords are being really good about, you know, let's keep it during the business hours and talk to your neighbors. And in other cases, we're trying to get uh, students equipped with practice mutes. But it hasn't stopped students and faculty from making music. Just hear NIU jazz professor Reggie Thomas and his new coronavirus-inspired song. Okay, I think that is a phenomenal segue into my conversation. This is one that I'm really proud of with Oregon High School English teacher, John Zuber. You're at the school right now? Yeah, I'm at the school, yeah. So what is it like? Is it is it pretty empty or what, is it, what does it look like? What's the, is it a weird vibe? Um, it's empty. I mean, right now we're on spring break, so it would be empty anyway, but... Last week oh, we true. worked, enough, yeah. and yeah, it was it was weird. It was weird because we had we everyone came in on Monday. All the all the staff did. The students were you know they had to stay home, and um, but all the staff did, and and we were told in first hour you know for your first hour students call all the parents and ask them a series of questions and everything, and you know just to kind of reach out to the community, and um, but. 
So it's just really, really busy on Monday, and then Tuesday, and then we're all just switching to e-learning now. So then Tuesday, I was... Were all the questions that you guys, when you had to call out of the parents, was it just like making sure they had all the tools and stuff like, like everything they needed for e-learning, or was it just making sure that like all that was set up, or just a bunch of other stuff? It, it was mostly that. It was mostly... Um, and there were questions like, do you have consistent internet access? Um, do, do, you know, does your son or daughter have a device that they can use to work on, you know, do schoolwork on. And, you know, I mean, besides just right. a phone, sometimes students, they just ha they have their phone and they just have unlimited data and they don't bother, you know, um, having internet at home. And that's just how they interact. And so, but it would be hard to write a whole essay on your phone. <laughs> You know, so yes, no, I've tried. It's it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so but then so everyone was here on Monday. It was kind of a mad scramble, and then Tuesday, you know, teachers were here, and admin was here, and you know, as the news got progressively, I guess, worse or more foreboding, um, you know, people just started staying away, and uh, so the halls got like progressively, I think, more quiet. And so, what was that like? I mean, what was it, what was it like for especially the first couple of days of trying to make sure everything was going well? I do, I, luckily, I imagine that English can translate a, a little bit better than some of the other classes, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I'm, I'm I was kind of lucky with that. I think that the um, yeah, I mean, the students took home their, you know, I'm doing Fahrenheit 451 in my English 3 class, and they're a bunch of juniors and stuff, so, and it's not the, it's not super easy to read, but it's it's not that bad. And so, you know, I said, you know, just read this, do this kind of worksheet, and, and just get up, make sure you get up, you know, through 30 pages or, you know, whatever. Um, but I don't know, if you're teaching, if you're a math teacher trying to do this, you know, I mean, there has to be so much direct instruction there, it'd be hard as a student to be self, you know, to guide yourself through it. Um, but if you're a PE teacher, you know, it's sort of like, what do you do? Just go out and yeah. run or some, you know, do something active and then report back to me. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that they've come up with better things than that, but yeah, it's just, it's tough. It's weird. It's weird. It is. I can't even imagine for like science, you know, when you're having to do like labs and things like that. I, I, I don't even know if that's possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's not, um, you know, and we, our district sent a letter out that, you know, to all the families just saying that e-learning is not going to be the same thing. It won't be the same level of education as, you know, your students or your kids coming to school. And so, right, how could it be? which is like a good admission, I think. <laughs> it's sort of like we can't replicate right. what, what we would normally do. So, but we're trying. It kind of sucks to... Yeah, it, it kind of sucks to have to say something, but it's just like it's the reality of the situation. You can't be like, oh, no, we're not going to skip a beat. It's going to be totally normal because obviously there's nothing about this that's totally normal. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah, and, and I mean, like you said, I mean, there's there's definitely probably some specific challenges for, for you guys as a school that is smaller and probably, like you said, has, has some issue with trying to make sure that people have internet access right. to be able to do all this stuff. Yeah, one thing that I found too, and I've had some talks with um, other teachers about this, we are, we're pretty schedule driven. And I mean, of course we are because we, we follow the same bell schedule as our students, but once that's gone, it's sort of like, you know, I'm just staring in front of a screen or staring at a screen and just, <laughs> You know, what time is it? Oh, it sort of doesn't matter. Should I do this? Should I do yeah. that? You know, there's 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 definitely a scatterbrained sort of element that's occurring to that's, um, yeah, like I find myself not thinking in a very linear fashion, which um, I guess I didn't realize that about myself as soon as the structure sort of lifted, then 
you know, I think as teachers, we're kind of like, okay, well now what? I felt the same way, even though I definitely don't operate on like a bell schedule, but I'm like, no, I have to get up at a reasonable time. I have to shower. And, but then I feel like an idiot because then I'm just like sitting cross-legged on my couch <laughs> in khakis recording things, right? Right. It's weird. Yeah. And I'm sure students are feeling similarly too, you know, to some degree. It's like, well, what do I do now? Do I do Netflix? Do I watch more Netflix or do I, you know, do some math, you know? And I think that's, that's especially if their parents aren't home because they're at work or what have you. I think that would be hard for a 15 year old to manage well. Yeah. Have you been able to be in that kind of contact or have any conversations with your students about any of that? Just because I feel like if there's one, if it's been valuable at least every, at least every day to sit or talk to someone that you know and be like, wow, this is just really weird guys, right? Yeah, um, I've, we tried to start, uh, I have a, I'm co-teaching with a history teacher um, in, in a class called American Studies. And last Friday, we tried to get a video chat going with a bunch of our students, and it kind of didn't work. There's lots of pausing and just lags in, um, just lag time in the conversation. And so it made for kind of, so more of like a, hey, how's it going kind of thing. And there wasn't any, you know, there really, that's all that we could really do was just kind of look at, look at our students and they could see us like, okay, so we're all, you know, we all still exist. We're all still here. And, you know, just because school is closed doesn't, you know, we're all just sort of scattered around. And, uh, and you know, being in a small town, I've seen a couple of students at, you know, our local supermarket and, um, the other day, and right. they were they were happy to see me. They're like, "Oh, hi, how's it going? How's it going, Mr. Zuber?" I said, "Oh, hello," you know, and you know, un unusually happy. I think you know, I think just having that face-to-face -face sort of contact, or even through video, um, I think is reassuring. I've been trying to figure out like how long the grace period is going to last. You know, when you know, knock on wood, when everything goes back to relative normal, that like when students come back into your class, like how long is it that everyone is really like excited and happy to see each right. other and like just just excited to be back in the world before it really goes back to normal and everyone is like you know kind of eh you know it's it's same old same old like I wonder really for everyone how long that's gonna last where we're all like genuinely excited just to be able to be back in the world yeah I think if I've thought about that I've thought about what it would feel like the first day coming back and I think that people would they will I think the school is gonna be in a good mood um, whenever that happens to be and yeah. because we're sort of seeing how, you know, everyone, like, there are just sort of moments in life and our schedules and stuff where we, we, I don't know if the word is resent exactly, but, you know, you get up, you have your routine, you go into, you know, you go into school, you know, you do your best and, you know, students do their best as well, um, regard, you know, depending on how they're feeling and acting and stuff. And, um, but sometimes that that monotony could be can be tough to take but as, but now that it's gone i think that a lot of a lot of people you know not just education but i think everywhere i think a lot of people are maybe realizing oh gosh i actually sort of like that schedule you know i like that part of my life that sometimes you know you, you feel like you have to battle a little bit and um so yeah i i think that the first day back is going to be a fun day and I also think there's a certain, like the barrier between student and teacher as far as authority goes and that, you know, we, we have our roles in the classroom, we have our roles in the school. What's been interesting is that 
that seems to have disappeared a little bit. And from hmm. when just talking to students uh, when I have or when I've communicated with them through email, I, I find myself being more personable or more chummy or like there isn't, you know... Like casual? Yeah. Casual is the word. Yeah. And th there's a certain... That, that barrier, I think, that can exist, you know, the authority barrier um, is has been kind of dismantled a little bit. Right. You're not at the... You're literally not at the front of a classroom looking back at them, you're not in a tie, probably. I mean, maybe you are. I, I don't know how, 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 how professionally you're getting dressed these days. But, you know, yeah, no, there's definitely, like, that distance that is, is kind of is, is removed a little bit. Right. I'm, I'm not concerned about their behavior. I'm not concerned if they're paying attention because I'm, we're not in the classroom environment, you know. It's just like, hey, here's the info. And how's it going? Are you doing okay? And, you know, and I think from... From that standpoint, it's made me think a little bit about, okay, can I act, can I be like this when I'm at school too? You know, can I be a little bit more personable and um, or casual but still professional at the same time? You know, is, is there something larger I can I can take away from this experience that once class does resume, that I can I can use this experience and bring it back into the classroom somehow? And so I'm still, yeah. you know, that, that remains to be seen, but I'm, I'm looking for a silver lining. I think right now. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so, I mean, just getting into to you and talking about and kind of what the show normally is outside of this, I'm curious. I You've been at Oregon for almost 20 years now, right? Yeah. Getting there. This is my 18th year teaching. Um, my first year teaching was in 0203. And after that first year, the district went through some cuts. I went to another school district um, south of... Juliet, and I was there for a couple of years, yeah. but then they had an opening uh, back in Oregon, and I had good friends here, and um, I like the area a lot, so so I moved back. So, uh, so are you originally from close to the area, or just northern Illinois, northern Illinois in general? I'm um, from South Bend, Indiana, actually, and I ended up, okay. and so I went to Bradley down in Peoria, yeah. and the principal at the time, the principal at, at Oregon at the time was also from Bradley, and he was just going through um, Bradley's uh, database for um, people who are like recent graduates who are getting into teaching. And so he just actually, honestly, he just gave me a call completely randomly. And um, so yeah, so actually so moving out into yeah. a rural area was, was sort of a different world. And um, that took some, took a little bit of getting used to. Uh, students, my first year here, students, you know, I was 23, I think, and Students would, they'd say, oh, yeah, I know where you live. You live on that street, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they would basically tell me my address, and which I found incredibly creepy and weird. Yeah. And because in South Bend, you had, it's a big enough city. I mean, like, you have anonymity, but not in a, not in a more rural area when you have a couple towns, you know, Oregon and Mount Morris that are probably combined maybe 8,000, 9,000 people uh, living here. Yeah, I mean, it is, a, there is something, because I, I grew up in, in Sandwich, and it was a pretty, you know, pretty rural okay, town. Okay, yeah. And there is something that is a, there is something that is a little more, like we said, I mean, there is something that's a little more casual about it when everyone knows each other, and it's really kind of hard to, Right, put on an air of anonymity and, and be mysterious. He's like, no, 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 I, I just saw you at the grocery store. I, I know who you are. <laughs> right, right, exactly. What I like about it is the fact that I know most of the students in the hallway, and, you know, we pass by each other, say hi, and I like the fact that you, you get to know your colleagues, and it's just, there's definitely a kind of a tight-knit feel, and there's also a certain 
casualness as far as, you know, that's just the fact that I have, I have keys to the school. I could come in whenever. And I know of um, uh, someone that I spoke with who teaches in Rockford. Um, that person said, no, like school is closed. You know, you can't just go in. And <laughs> yeah, so that's something that, you know, I like. It's, you know, school is definitely the, the center of the town in, in many ways and kind of the cultural center of the, of the town. Yeah, and a lot of towns, the schools really are that cultural hub of, of everything that's going on for, I mean, art, but all, education, obviously, but also like sports and stuff yep. too. Yeah, sports, performances. Yeah. Um, the, we had 60 students, and we have about 430-ish students maybe at our high school, and 60 of them yeah. were part of uh, Beauty and the Beast musical that the students put on, and it was, and it was packed. And... And so it was something, you know, the, the auditorium was packed. And so um, it's something where, you know, it's, it's the community knows. It's like, oh, yeah, the school's doing Beauty and the Beast. So let's, you know, let's go out and support them. And, um, you know, because it's kind of it's like the best show in town. And yeah, so it's... It is the show in it town. It is the yeah. show in town. Yeah, exactly. It's the show in town. And so, <laughs> and so I think that getting to know students and I, I think that when I was, when I was first looking as um, like a recent graduate from Bradley, when I was first looking to go somewhere, I didn't really want to go in the suburbs so much, but there's just something about, I guess the area that, um, you know, the kind of living in, in this rural area that, that I enjoyed about just, again, just getting to know students well and getting to know who most of the students are in the school by the time they graduate. And, you know, and on, on graduation, dur during graduation afterward, you know, you know pretty much everyone. And it's just like a nice yeah. celebration that I think being in a, uh, teaching at a, a bigger school, um, I'm sure that you get to know students. And I'm sure that there's a lot, you know, that there are a lot of good relationships that, that you're able to build. But at the same time, it's not like the whole school. And, you know, yeah. you don't get to know everyone. And so, I don't know, so I, I just like, I like that aspect about, about being here. And so you talked about a little bit of being an English teacher, and, and I'm fascinated by this because I always wanted to ask, whenever I talk to English teachers, because in my mind, I always think, you know, high school English, going through some of the classes, like you mentioned, that uh, classics, like you mentioned in Fahrenheit for, um, 451 you guys are reading right now, mm -hmm. I'm always curious what are some of your personal favorites of those? Because I feel like people have really divisive opinions about those like classic books that you read in school where people either, either really love them or they're like, eh, super overrated. What are the ones for you? Like, what, are, what is the canon for John? Um, I, I really like teaching. Uh, when I started teaching AP, I think this is maybe my sixth or seventh year teaching AP Lit, and I taught several different books and everything. I tried, <laughs> I tried doing uh, Crime and Punishment, because I read that in high school, and I loved it, and so I tried teaching it in AP, and I did for a couple years, but it took almost the whole semester to do well, and so I thought, man, I don't know how much, I mean, it's good, it was a really, I think it was a legitimately good experience for the students, but it was also, uh, man, it was a grind, you know, there's 600 solid pages <laughs> that you have to really kind of muddle through, but, so I finally rested, though, on Hamlet and Frankenstein, uh, I, oh. I enjoy teaching those a lot. I think that they both, and they're both pretty depressing books. Hamlet has a sense of humor to it. Frankenstein does not. There is nothing humorous that happens in that book. It is is very serious and morose 
like throughout the whole the whole book. But Hamlet is Hamlet's fun, and the students the students enjoy it, it because you have. You have a character who's not much older than the students, and oh, there's a little bit of debate about that. And he's that. very dramatic. I'm sorry? He's, he's very dramatic. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and, but also at the same time, I mean, but the, the whole feeling of, uh, you know, this main character, uh, Hamlet, how he has to, there's, life is coming at him, and he doesn't really have a choice. And, you know, and he, he has to make a decision. He has to decide on something. And I think that juniors and seniors in high school start feeling that way. And I think freshmen and sophomores probably don't. I would never want to teach Hamlet to freshmen. I mean, beyond the fact that, you know, it's Shakespearean difficult, but like Romeo and Juliet is just fine mm -hmm. for freshmen. They get it. But Hamlet, they wouldn't really be able to relate to the character as well. But I think juniors and seniors, they know that their, the end of their high school career is coming, and there's nothing they can do about it. Like, it's going to happen. And... So it's something that, you know, and then they have to start making decisions for themselves, like truly for themselves. And that's something that they can relate um, to, like with Hamlet, because he has to do pretty much the same thing. He can't, you know, I mean, he kind of sits and pouts and wonders and stuff about, like, well, what should I do for a few acts? But eventually he does have to act, and he feels this pressure, and, you know, and then it's kind of like, okay, what are you really made of, Hamlet? And I think that these... Uh, juniors and seniors in high school start, I think they, they, they feel similarly, you know, okay, yeah. what are you made of? What do you want to do? Who are you? I mean, it really does get down to that question. Like, who are you? You know, now that you are not going to have adult influence or as much adult influence in your life, um, the way that Hamlet's father was taken from him, you know, it's kind of the same, yeah. the same way. It's, you know, and so anyway, so Hamlet is, Hamlet's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, but I was just curious, just not even in terms of, of books that you have to teach, but just all-time personal favorite books oh, for you, too. Oh, all-time personal favorites. Um, Slaughterhouse-Five. I enjoy that one, Kervonaget. I enjoy some of the, like, uh, like the more modern, like the modern poetry. Um, I enjoy that. I like James Wright, who's also a poet. He wrote uh, mostly in the 50s and 60s, I think. Salinger, Nine Stories, and you know, I think a lot, a lot of that stuff. Um, and to be honest with you, I haven't explored literature. This is the irony about being an English teacher for me, anyway. Is that? Yeah, tell me. I, I thought heading into being an English teacher, I thought, ah, I get to read all the time. I get to, you know, live the life of the mind, and you know, and explore new literature, and you know, what's going to happen in art, and this and that. And I was really excited about that. But now that I've been an English teacher for 18 years, I'm not reading a lot of new literature. I'm not reading a lot of this stuff. I'm not, like, keeping up on the contemporary things as much, you know, mm. and um, because I'm too busy reading um, essays. You know, the, the literature I'm reading is written by high schoolers. And so... Yeah, so you are, you're keeping up with some new stuff, but <laughs> not quite the thing you thought. Yeah, yeah very, very uh, pretty raw, unformed stuff that I have to critique and, you know, try to make better. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's what you expected going in, but I'm curious to even go further back than that. What is it that, I mean, we could talk about why education in particular, why you wanted to be a teacher, but then specifically narrowing that down, why English? So how did this all happen? How did you get into education? Just, I just really liked literature, and I didn't know that about myself, you know, coming out of high school. And, but then I thought, I think by the time I was maybe a sophomore, I mean, yeah, it must have been a sophomore in college. I thought, well, I have to do something with being, you know, an English major 
if I graduate college just as an English major in a very kind of really practical way, well, what kind of job am I, you know, am I going to get? So I thought, too, about, well, education, eh, I don't know, give it a shot. And so there was, like, there were some early education classes that, that you could take. So I took a couple, and I found that um, I was enjoying those, too. And we have these, these early clinicals where we go out to a school, and we just observe and for a couple hours. And that's just what we do for you know, a few days a week. And I found that I was really enraptured with the puzzle of students, of high school students and junior high students. And I was really intrigued with what's, what's, really, what's the best way of communicating information to them and have them kind of decode what you're saying or what you're showing them, have them decode it, think about it, and then encode their thoughts and give them back to you. And just that process, you know, and what's the best way of doing that? When you have a variety of human beings in your classroom who all have different experiences and uh, interests and things like that. So that, yeah. that was, I think I was really kind of hooked at that moment. And I thought, well, maybe I could do this. And what I find is that, you know, teaching high schoolers is that very, very few of them ever want to be a high school teacher when they're in high school. I don't think there are a lot of 17-year-olds who think, I want to be a high school teacher. I don't think that exists. I think that's very rare. You're too close to it. Yeah, you're too close. close Yeah, And usually students, (laughs) or they say, because I ask sometimes, I'm like, do any of you guys want to be a teacher? And most of the time the students in the class are like, oh, no, I could never, I could never, like, handle high schoolers. Like, we give, or, like, teaching high schoolers, we give you so much crap, Mr. Zuber. Like, oh, like, you poor teachers. Like, they say this. And they're kind of harsh on themselves a little bit. And so, I I don't know, I find it kind of funny. But, yeah, um, you're too close to it. So I think that a lot of, I think that most teachers or people who become teachers uh, at the high school level anyway, they don't know that they're going to be high school teachers when they're 17, 18 years old. We want to talk a little bit about how you grow and how you mature and how you evolve as a teacher. And that seems like something that you think a lot about, right? About how teachers get better and how to support them like that? So I think that I was, I think I was lucky enough slash brash enough in my early teaching to think that I had, not that I had things down, but that I had just sort of this inequality about myself that I just thought, oh, well, like, this is it. Like, I'm going to be a teacher. There's no other option. There's no other choice. And so, therefore, like, I have to just dive in and explore teaching as much as I can and devote, sort of, based, honestly, but devote my life to teaching. And I felt that way for probably the first seven, eight years of my teaching career. And in the meantime, I was, I, like, looking back on those years, I was neglecting some parts of my personal life, such as, you know, eventually finding a wife, having a family, you know, things that just that people do. And, yeah. and so I think that, um, in a sense, I, I was lucky enough to have that time that I kind of carved out for myself in order to really hone my craft. But a lot of people don't, a lot of new teachers uh, don't have that time or they don't necessarily have that mentality, nor necessarily should they have that mentality of, you know, thinking that, they're, that they should work 80 hours a week. And that if you work fewer than 80 hours a week, then you're somehow like not committed, um, which is just a ridiculous notion. So I think that how we train teachers, particularly younger teachers or, or teachers new to the field, I think that it's, there's, a little, there's too much trial by fire. Looking back on 
you know, like my, my own college experience and everything. I wish that I had, instead of a semester of student teaching, I wish I had a full year of student teaching. It is interesting, right, that people get thrown into that situation at 22, 23, and even the people that are in those classes understand how difficult it's going to be for them and then to have to try to maneuver. And there's a lot at risk, you know? I mean, there isn't, if you're, yeah. if you're a plumber and, you know, you're, you screw something up, I mean, well, you fix it. And, or like a lot of jobs, I think, work like that or, or similar to that. Whereas with teaching, though, you're dealing with other human beings who are growing and developing. And if you're struggling in the classroom as a teacher, like in, it could be a year-long struggle for you or, or longer. And in the meantime, students need, students need good teaching. And so, I mean, like going back to what we're doing right now with e-learning, this is lost time. You know, it doesn't have to be lost time. But again, we can't replicate, e-learning will not replicate what we do in the classroom. It can't. And so, in a sense, there's some lost time going on. Like, there's lost education. And, you know, for juniors and seniors in high school, I mean, that's a bummer. But when you get into the younger, the younger grades, and, you know, my daughter's a preschooler right now, and we're, we're trying to do what we can to sort of replicate what her teacher would do in the classroom. And um, it is, it's, it's lost time. Yeah, and I mean, like you said about how much is at stake, and then you also go in there and you just have to look. I mean, you can see all the people that you're directly affecting yeah. all day. They're right in front of you. Yeah, yes. And it's, I mean, there are times where, and every teacher has this, you know, regardless of experience, but like there are, there are moments where there are students where you want to be able to reach and you're trying so many different ways to reach them. And maybe, you know, at the end of the year comes up and you think, dang, I, I couldn't quite get there with that student. I couldn't quite, you know, get them to hand in things consistently or I couldn't get them to pay attention longer than what you wanted them, you know, to be able to pay attention to. And so I think everyone has that. Yeah, and you mentioned that you have a you have a daughter that's in preschool, right? Yes. And that having kids for you really impacted the way that you think about teaching. Yeah, I've so when I first started teaching, I mean that was obviously I was in my twenties and I had like I said before, like seven or eight years to basically just focus on teaching. And that was a huge chunk of my life. And it was, the clock was open-ended. And if there was, you know, and so I would constantly fiddle and tweak and try new things and experiment and, you know, basically curate my curriculum so that I can make it better and better and better through the years. But once I got married and... It's about seven years ago now. Once I got married and I have uh, two young children, you know, you start obviously reevaluating like, oh, I don't have an infinite time on my clock anymore. You know, I need to get to bed at a reasonable hour because I got to get up, you know, early to, you know, help my kids get ready for school and, you know, et cetera. So there is, so I think that I've, I've had to really, really focus on getting more efficient with how I use my time. You know, when I was in my 20s, I didn't, and even my early 30s, I didn't really have to think like that. Whereas now, I absolutely do, because when I go home, I want to be, I need to be present with my family and not distracted, not sitting on the computer trying to, you know, grade an essay um, while my three-year-old, you know, is 
you know, banging away on some drums or something. It was as if there wasn't enough at stake already in the classroom. Now there's way more at stake. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I mean, really, there's a larger issue of, of living a balanced life as well. And that's something that I've had yeah. to, I guess, reassess. And and I'm I'm happier for it. Yeah. Has it been, I mean... I, I guess a silver lining of all this, all this, uh, you know, everything being closed and schools being closed, that you'll, you're at least probably, you, you get to be at home with, with your kids even more now, right? Yeah, and yeah, it's been fun, and it's been great, and just getting out and taking a walk with a five and a three year old, and it takes you an hour to go two blocks because they want to pick up every pine cone in the sidewalk or, you know, things like that, and but but just yeah. knowing now, it's like, well, I don't, you know, time is sort of you know, like you said earlier, my schedule has exploded. And so time is kind of a weird concept right now. There's no bell that I have to hurry up and get stuff done. So it's like, yeah, let's just take our time. Let's take an hour walking two blocks and then, you know, and then just walk home, you know, and that's fine. And we're just enjoying each other. Is there anything that, you know, since everyone is, is, has their schedules blown up and we're all looking for things to pass the time, is there anything that you've been binging, reading, watching, listening to that you can recommend for the listeners who <laughs> we're all looking for new things? Um, I've been paying close attention to Better Call Saul. And there you go. Yeah. So the new season is out now. I think it's the fifth season. So there are a few episodes in. And so I've been watching that when I can. Um, it's just a brilliantly written show. I just... I don't know, my jaw drops at the writing because, it, I don't know, it's just everything has a consequence to it, which a uh, few shows um, do that. Uh, the other thing that I've been doing is uh, just cooking. I've just been cooking a lot. and Oh, now you're speaking my language, John. Yeah, yeah 100%. And so, yeah, that's, that's sort of my, uh, I guess, kind of my side hobby or passion is um, just cooking. And, I mean, when I was single all those years, you, know, you could only go to McDonald's and Subway so often. And so it's like, well, I better, I better learn a few things in the kitchen. So I, I've just been exploring some, I guess, stuff that I normally wouldn't, and different ingredients and stuff that I normally wouldn't use. And so, or like how to use cabbage well, you know, who eats cabbage? And so, you know, I'd like, I know. That, that, that's the new, that is the new title of this episode. It's going to be how to cook, how to eat cabbage well. Right, yeah, that's gonna yeah, be yeah exactly. <laughs> just kind of these ingredients is like, you know, you pass it up in the supermarket so often, you know, you look at it, you're like, oh, there's cabbage and you, you don't think anything of it and you just keep going toward like, you know, the good yeah. stuff. So, but it's like, yeah. So I picked up some cabbage and, you know, made some like German sweet and sour cabbage, uh, actually just last night, um, you know, with some chicken and, and stuff. And it was really good. It was good. So there you go. Cabbage. I'm going to try to figure out beets, uh, during this whole crisis. So we'll, we'll see if I, if I get anywhere in that. Yeah. Beets are tough. Beets are messy. They just bleed all over. So they're kind of, <laughs> they're good, but yeah, you have to be careful with them. So who knows, uh, next episode maybe I'll get back to everyone if I've made any beet progress. <laughs> right, yeah. I like roasting them. I like roasting beets, so that's my favorite way of preparing okay. them. Anything I need to put on there, a little salt and pepper, or, or what, what am I roasting? Yeah, with? I don't think they need much. I think just like, yeah, just salt and pepper, olive oil, roast them. They can, because they're pretty sugary, so they can burn a little bit, and so make sure that you don't, um, you know, just make sure that you move them around when you're roasting them a little, so, so they don't uh, singe too much. But yeah, just do that, maybe... I don't know if some butter would help. Probably not. Yeah, I, they're pretty simple. Nice. I could, I've got time to experiment. I've got time to experiment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try with salt and pepper, see how you like it, and then you can add some other stuff there later. All right, John, we went through a lot. We got all the way to how to cook beets <laughs> and cabbage. I'm glad that's where we got to end it off on. 
thanks thanks so much for for taking the time and having the conversation yeah and uh, yeah i hope you enjoy it all right thanks a lot take care as always feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show and along with that send us your suggestions for topics that we should be covering during this weird time and you can do all of that teacherslounge at niu.edu and wherever you're hearing the podcast subscribe leave us a rating share whatever you can do because it just helps us get more perspective and bring more voices onto this show special thanks to john zuber of course for being on this week's episode and to the rockford area band kind of for the wonderful music that you hear you can hear more than music on soundcloud and their appearance on our own sessions from studio a and speaking of sessions thank you to spencer tripp for making our teacher's lounge logo that you're probably looking at on whatever service you're listening to and i have been your host peter medlin and we will be back with more teacher's lounge very soon have a good one